You're listening to the Touch of Flavor Podcast, episode 120. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor Podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, so Midori, you know, you run in the kink circles, probably somebody you've heard of, but educator, sexologist, artist, she founded the Rope Dojo, she founded Fort Femme, which is uh, the Women's Dominance Intensive, and she also penned the first English instruction book on Shibari titled The Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage back in 2001, which kind of paved the way to the popularity of rope, I'd say at least the popularity of rope in the US, right? She's also the author of Wild Side Sex, Master Han's Daughter, and Silk Threads. So today we're talking to Midori and we sort of just had a chit chat that we just let it go where it went, but we've covered a lot of really awesome stuff. Everything from intimacy and power exchange during the pandemic to women's dominance to creating good, healthy balances in your relationships to get those desires and wants met. Anything else you want to add to that? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Like it's just an amazing interview. Let's go ahead, hop in. And without further ado, we bring you Midori. Just, I guess, if you wanted to take us off and just introduce like who you are, what you do, kind of what you feel your mission is, that would be a fantastic place to start. So yeah, let's go ahead and hop in to that if you're ready. Hey, so thanks for having me on the podcast, and it is good to be invited, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. And for the listeners out there, I'm Midori, and I am the founder of Rope Dojo and Fort FM, sexuality educator with, I suppose you could say, a subject matter expertise in kink, BDSM, etc. And I've also written several books, including The Seductive Art of Japanese Bondage and Wild Side Sex. It's all about the art of creative, fulfilling, living, and co-creating joy. That's awesome. And our topic for today is Cassie. So our topic is going to be sort of embracing that feminine dominance, right? And as a woman being able to do that. And we're going to talk about a couple of different things and go wherever the conversation kind of flows. But yeah, I feel like it's going to be a really awesome topic because I know some of our listeners have mentioned that right now, sort of with where the world's at and everything, that's something that they would really like to be able to do more of and feel like they're able to do with their partners and just for themselves, right? Like we, we, we feel great when we're able to embrace the things that we enjoy. So I'm really glad to be able to have you on and talk about that. All right. Well, point me in a direction because there's so much we can talk about this topic. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to sort of start with the place of just, I, I know you talk to your clients and folks and, and people all over is this something that you've seen at all where folks feel like there has been this like struggle sort of right now and like sort of what have you heard about that? 
My students are scattered all across the globe. So it depends greatly on where they're at and the impact of the COVID pandemic upon their lives. So it'll be very different between, say, California, where there is a statewide shutdown versus some of my students in other locations where it has not been so strict or the pandemic has not been that impactful. So it does vary profoundly. For those who are in the more stricter or harder pandemic impact, I think in general, it's affected libido creativity and just life in general. So answer for the folks who are highly affected, yeah, you know, when you're having to engage in and and be homeschool leader and manage working from home. There are so many variables that, that, yeah, the spirit of play may be spirit of play or sexual or erotic may be highly diminished. And when we're talking about folks who may be living alone or living in a situation where you're you're isolated with immediate family. Yeah, it's it's going to affect. And at the same time, there are people who are taking this opportunity of opportunity of being focused inwards to explore at least the ideas of what they want in their life, even if they can't practice it or even if they can't go searching for it, at least maybe read about things like polyamory or kink. So doing a preliminary, well, engaging potential readiness for the aftertimes. Yeah, I think that is one thing that a lot of people have seen is like finding that opportunity if, if it exists for them to try and take advantage of, of learning some things as things go. And the good news with that now, right, is there's just so many more resources than there were once upon a time, like, I mean, I can imagine being, yeah, you, you wind up in the same position 10, 15 years ago and trying to take some, like, like learn about kink or explore some of those things as you're on your way would have been incredibly difficult. I'm I think curious. There, I think there's pros and cons to that. I mean, sure, right now it's the golden age of information, but there's a lot of bullshit information out there by people who deliver it confidently, who may actually believe what they're saying or not. So on one hand, you do have a lot of great information, a lot of information. Some of it is great. A lot of it is garbage. And just because there's information doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of it. I, I also find that it may create also different pressures. So previously, there may have been the pressure of, of I have these fantasies and I must be wrong, I must be bad, you know, that, you know in isolation, right? So the, the sex shaming, which still exists, right? And... For people who get to live in and be in either human communities or geographic communities that are more sex positive, it certainly is a privilege and an advantage, but it's still not where everybody is at. There's also new pressures formed of rigidity in the idea of what kink is or kink isn't, what BDSM is or isn't. And I'm noticing this in dissemination of techniques where there's so much emphasis upon technical perfection and competence that there's a rigidity and 
rigidity that takes people away from creativity. So previously there might've been like the, the, oh my God, I'm a freak and a weirdo to, oh my God, I'm not the right kind of freak and a weirdo. It's interesting. Like there's so much there just in that little bit. It is funny, the conversation that you were just having about how it doesn't speak to the quality of the information. We were talking here just a little while ago, and I'm sure the podcast will go out in a bit of a different order, but just last week, real time, we were talking to Sarah Sloan. And one of the things we were chatting about a little bit before we hopped into things, or maybe it was after, I don't know, but was about how in some ways, it's funny, you, you've seen the quality of the education decrease just because there is so much available to people that it can be really, really hard for folks to know what's good education and what's not, right? And, and when they, they're going and they're popping something into Google and it's coming up. And yeah, that's definitely something that you've seen a lot of. And even you've seen the same thing to a certain extent, some, I think, with events to where like there isn't maybe as much emphasis put on really vetting the presenters as there used to be because it's so easy to get everybody's a presenter it's so easy for them to just bring people out but it is interesting that point that you're making that yeah just because there's in some ways the fact that there's more out there it can just be like overloaded and make it harder for people to sort through what's what and find the really quality information there right and when the there's this perception that that everything, and hopefully this will change, that everything is learnable online. And as I'm talking to my teaching colleagues, it's not. There's, I just did a workshop on military scenes and interrogation play where I had to make modifications because of the media. Like my women's dominance intensive, Fort FM, will never go online because there are so many components to the, the weekend intensive that requires physical immersion and emotional immersion. So instead of delivering a crappy CD level product, I'm waiting for the aftertimes and the online education I'm providing is I'm limiting that to those, the, the information that I can deliver best as possible given the media. So for example, my, my negotiation class, yeah, I can. And I've even given it a modification to how to do that, that a video chat situation as opposed to the techniques that one would use in person. So there's this idea that, oh, we have the technology, we can do everything, apples to apples, learning how to access things. And, and same for forming communities and connections, that that which is online should be just as qualitatively good as meeting in person. And we know it's not. So same for education. So instead of like thinking apples to oranges, we're ta talking now apples to salmon, like completely different. And so... I've chosen instead of diluting the diluting or creating a poor product to like only teach online that which really makes sense online. And so much else also has to be experienced in person. Yeah, I back to the original question of how does the the pandemic situation affect one's drives, creativities, and imagination? Well, it's gonna be up to like so many things about human sexuality. The answer is it depends. If 
if somebody is living in, in say, now Taiwan, where there's a very low COVID threat, it's going to be very different. But on the other hand, in Taiwan, you're not going to have the, the sexually social network that already exists in places like, say, San Francisco or L.A., where no one can see each other because COVID wreaks havoc. If you're living with living with your pod of multiple lovers is going to be different than being a single parent with two kids. I think going through cycles of up and down sexual curiosity, going through cycles of depressions and hopefulness, I think it's going to be very normal in this. Wanting to, to not feel alone in, in the roller coasters of our reality, I think, is, is natural and healthy. I do want to, to give a shout out to people out there who have chosen to, to prioritize their sexuality differently. That if you're hearing someone having like a great dating life and they're doing dating online and dating in person or whatever, but you're choosing not to, and that's the best decision for you, I want to celebrate that. And I know it can be a real bummer to, to hear things about, well, here, I don't want to come on the show and say, here are the things that you can do to engage in your dominance and submission in your life, because that might not be right for you. And sometimes we have to put it aside and take care of higher priorities. And if you do that in the now, later, you will likely be in a better place to engage on your own term. So in no way do I want to put any sort of pressure on anyone that, that well, because sexuality is, I suppose it sounds funny as a sexuality educator that I'm saying, there are times when it really doesn't matter. There are times when putting food on the table and making sure your kid's not going to commit suicide or yourself is going to be the important thing. So I, I do want to say that. And for those who are in a really good flow state of having libidos, imaginations, or lovers going on, great and appreciate it in the moment because there'll be a time when it's not your priority and that's okay. Yeah, we actually a while back did a, a podcast on on like some healthy power exchange stuff. And one of the things that we talked about is how often folks have that fantasy, right? Of like, my slave's going to live in my dungeon and we're just going to play and we're just going to do this and we're just going to do that. And it's like, let's be serious here. We're all humans. We all get sick. We all have needs. We all have things that happen in our lives. And it's okay to put things on hold if we need to. It's okay to put things aside to take care of the people we love and ourselves and not get so strung out on this idea that we have to meet the fantasy that somebody told us that we're supposed to have, right? It's a lot of times not even our own fantasy, right? It's, it's what we've read or what's been told to us is like the true way. But what it really comes down to, and it's something that we talk a lot on the show about, is really just remembering that you want to treat other people like people, the people in your lives that you love, and you want to take care of yourself too, regardless of what, regardless of, of all the other things, it's, it's doing that self-care first. So connecting this into the discussion of 
uh, feminine dominance. So let's assume that that for sake of priorities and being good to yourself and those around you, that that you end up putting your play life in in on the back burner. By the way, to back up just a bit, the fantasy of dot 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 you just mentioned. I live in San Francisco. Okay, the idea that one would have be able to have the space in your living quarters to have a separate function. <laughs> Hello. Oh my God. Okay, that is a fantasy. I mean, Bay Area, kinky as fuck, but have your own space, please. Oh my God. Yeah, Bay Area. And for those of you who are in New York, you also know what I'm talking about. Same thing. Okay. So back to, to the feminine dominance bit is that if we are backburnering libido and desire, then you can you can actually, if you are if you are cultivating engagement of authentic and ethical power, you can actually turn that towards engaging in your non-sexual priorities with the same sort of, with the same values of and same power source of your play or erotic or relational dominance and power about ethical and authentic power expression. So you can actually resource that power supply towards the things that you need to take care of in the moment. You know, this is this is a really interesting kind of segue as we're moving here. One thing that I think is a really interesting, it can be kind of hard to figure out, right? When we're talking about like, what's getting put on hold, what's not, how are we prioritizing in this time that's unprecedented is one one place that gets really interesting here when we're talking about all this is there is the the fact of how much our relationships wind up impacting the other pieces of our lives, right? And so I think you have a really interesting question because even in, in this time, when things are unprecedented, when there are a lot of choices that have to be made for safety and for things like that, I think there becomes a really interesting question. And especially once you're past the safety issues. And, and what I mean by that is, say you're talking about relationships with people that you're, you're going to be interacting with even during the, the pandemic and the craziness of like, especially with power exchange, where does that line get drawn, right? Of what it makes sense to back burner in your day-to-day with those interactions and what really at the core for different people, and obviously it's different, but is something that you really need to keep a certain level of to keep your relationships fulfilling, right? And keep them on track. And I don't know what the right answer is to that, but it's definitely an interesting question that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are having to confront right now. So I'd actually like some clarification here because when people speak about power exchange or DS or power exchange and DS relationships, they mean a whole lot of things. And for those of us who are in uh, sex radical subcultures or sex positive subcultures or kink subcultures, we have a tendency to be a little self-congratulatory that we have a few extra words. So somehow we got things better figured out. But oftentimes we're coming from a place of, of a whole lot of assumptions, right? 
And so when somebody says power exchange, it could mean so many things. It could mean, okay, so I want to have a temporary redistribution of authority in, in this, this very time-bracketed experience for the sake of temporary fun. One example, I want to have power exchange. I want to engage in a hierarchical, hierarchical ongoing relationship or ways of relating to one another where we are essentially in a, a vertical decision-making organizational unit. Or power exchange, meaning I want to have some sort of a mentor-mentee that's grasshopper and the kung fu master <laughs> relationship where, where it's one person advising another, also power exchange relationship. When somebody is playing more sadomasochistically, or when I mean wacky pokey bindy things, and there's a, a playing and or role playing that where one is facilitated to let go of authority, quote, surrender, that's also considered a power exchange. And so when somebody says that, what do they mean? I mean, I think the first step is, what in the hell do I mean by this? And what part does it have in my life? And it can have multiple facets and we can go through multiple different phases of, of this and with different people. We get conceptually and linguistically lazy in uh, sex radical subcultures because at some point we use shorthands in order to get laid and that's fine, <laughs> right? Um, but when we we're talking about like the question which which I presume you're asking about how do you how do you feed yourself in in terms of interpersonal interpersonal relationships as is either energizing you or taking away from you either adding to your resources or taking away from your resources so I think to be able to distinguish between hierarchical or vertical relationship, either sexually intimate or not, advisory or recreational, essentially like DS equivalent of, hey, let's play pickup basketball. I mean, it's going to be different if you're on a basketball team versus we're playing pickup basketball. Okay? One is, one is the, the fun time, one is a relational structure. Neither is worse or better than the other. There's sometimes I hear people thinking that having a DS relationship is the escalation of DS scenes. Totally different. Totally different. And yet, because we use the same language, dominant submission for the pickup basketball game versus dominant submission for the relational unit, aka the basketball team, professional basketball team. Right. When we're vague and fuzzy about it is, I think, where we start to trip up on how we resource and how we prioritize. So if one is living with a primary partner with whom you have a vertical hierarchical structure and with whom you have children and pay bills and mortgage and in-laws, and if that hierarchical relationship is part of the strength, part, part of, not the exclusive, but part of the strength that allows for all the other things to happen, well, 
if that's the case, stripping down the unnecessary and strengthening the bare minimum of that power disparate relationship will allow for all the other things like the kids, the parents, the job, all of that. All right. Strip it down to the most essential and, and temporarily sacrifice or temporarily put aside that which would, you know, spoon theory, take away from your spoons. But if it is that, let's say you have a hierarchical relationship with somebody you don't live with, live far away, they've got their own life's chaos to deal with, then also stripping it down to what does this mean to us and how can it feed each of us? How can it give energy to instead of take away from? Now, let's say, on the other hand, it's a pickup scene that oh, once in a while I, I spend a few days with this person at Dark Odyssey and, and have awesome DS play. Well, maybe at that point, it's like, you know what? We're going to, like, the way that we're going to strip this down to the essential is we're going to keep the friendship. Don't have the energy, the time, the, the, the being able to touch and be in person with you, but let's maintain the friendship. And not worry about, maybe you choose, this is a maybe, you may choose to not worry about maintaining the DS because trying to do so takes away from keeping sane and keeping your family you know, sheltered and fed. So what's the DS and what's the power exchange that you're specifically having? And all of these examples I mentioned, the person you live with, the person that, that's far away and the person you occasionally pick up play with can be for, you can have one person having these three situations. And then you add to it the pandemic, the kids, the in-laws, the bills. If you don't strip it down to the bare essentials and manage the expectation, tell that person that the, the occasional pickup play that like, I miss you dearly, cannot do the thing. <laughs> until until we are in person or the person at a distance to say we've been like we're in the habit of we had been in the habit of doing all of this stuff and the elaborate distant play or whatever and I can't but I can do this much this much is all I got so recognizing what is it that resources and energizes you not depletes you well, and I think I think this is an interesting point that you're bringing up around the the language and the way that we talk about things and the assumptions that are made because this isn't like a pandemic specific problem, right? This is an all the time problem, and it's honestly it's not just a power exchange problem. I mean, you could break this down to all kinds of things. It's something we see all the time in non-monogamy, right? With the language where there's just really no distinction between like, I, I find it fun to swing every six months or like I live with a partner. But, you know, I'm curious, taking this it's to like, power there's poly, there's poly, there's poly and poly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think talking about power exchange, I think this is fantastic because again, like, like, and, and as you're saying, power disparate relationships, this isn't just a, well, what does this look like? This isn't just a problem that we run into with the pandemic. One thing that I think is we run into a lot is, is seeing the same thing when there's not a pandemic and this idea of people making a lot of assumptions about what power exchange relationships look like, or when they're, when they're talking about it, even when they're negotiating it, 
right? And not actually working that stuff out for themselves. I guess I'm kind of curious and it's a a sad question. I have to ask it away, but like, what, what is your, your thought people who think like that there's like a right way to do power exchange or right way to set up those kinds of relationships that you have to, you have to abide by if you're going to do this right. Uh, they need to add two words to it. There's a right way for me. There's a right way for me because there's a right way for me and there's a wrong way for me. And I think just adding those two words gets people thinking, yeah? The, the specification of, of language and specification of desire and clearly understanding what it is that we're imagining is something that I, I do in my, in my teaching and my, my work, you know, whether it's the one-on-one work or whether it's my class work, but certainly like classes like, even in my negotiation classes, I address that of, of clarifying the language and the expectations. So... When I encounter people that have like, this is the right way to do it, usually, usually they're folks that they mean well, and they've had a limitation of information exposure, or yeah, that they generally mean well. On a rare occasion, there'll be the like straight up asshole who's using kink and BDSM as a way to propagate their particular exploitative and abusive agendas. But mostly it's people who mean well, and it's highly romantic to think that anything in life has a right way to wrong or wrong way to do it, and we can attain we can attain the right way. I mean, everything is so variable. It's alluring to think. It's awfully seductive to think that there is the right way. And if only I find the right way, I will be happy. It's profoundly optimistic. I also find a lot of times folks that that have gotten the idea that there's the way to do it, oftentimes they're also experiencing a profound frustration because they, they imagine this like shiny city on the hill that if they can just find a way to it, that they'll be that they'll be happy. And oftentimes I hear them in one breath saying that there's the right way to do it and I'm trying to find it. But that's actually what they're not saying is, and I haven't found the way and I'm frustrated and what is wrong with me? So I'm curious, right? Because I know that you do a lot around women embracing their dominance. And how do you feel like this idea of, you know, they're kind of being a right way to do things and they're, they're, you know, having those ideas floating around and, and they're not being, a, they're being kind of a lack of, of specificity around things. How do you find that that makes it difficult for women in particular to embrace their power when they're coming into this spot where there might be a lot of like preconceived notions of what a, a relationship with different kinds of a power setup should look like? Well, I mean, let's back it up out, out of the realm of kink for people who were socialized as as girls and then socialized as women, regardless of gender, right? There's a whole lot of societal baggage around the inadequacy of girlness. There may be a whole lot of that misogynistic idea of the relationship that women have with power and their own agency that has to be tackled before we even get to what do we get to do in our kink? You know, do we get to have 
our own voice, our own agency, if you've been taught to doubt your own ability to make a decision. If you can't trust the, if, if you've been raised in such a way that you can't trust the rightness of being who you are. I think it starts with, you get to be right in who you are. And that is, is a really powerful thing to like cast off the doubts that have been, self-doubt that has been imbued into so many people who are not majority power holders. And I include into that women as well as, as BIPOC people, as well as queer people, as well as people who don't fit standard beauty, societal beauty standards of the moment. And to be told that not only what it is and how you desire is wrong, but who you are is wrong. And how can you stand in in one's own power and agency if we haven't faced the fact that we've we've internalized a lot of that bullshit and part of you know what may be exciting with with playing with feminine dominance is because i i in many ways kink is a small lab or a sandbox within which we get to engage in in power communication play agency and experimenting with one's own voice and power and how we hold space in this very controlled environment, kink play, with somebody that I hope likes you, I hope. <laughs> and without the, the deluge of variables that everyday life throws at us. So in some ways, for many of my students, playing with kink has been a way by which they can rehearse and play with how much to push, how much to own, how much to step back and try out various different leadership styles. I think of feminine dominance as one of many, many effective leadership styles to examine. Yeah, so roundabout going, talking about exploring with a power for for feminine folks, an examination of how we may have silenced ourselves. So if you're someone who has recognized that this is something that you enjoy, but you're still like struggling with that, right? Because I, I know for, for myself, like when I first entered the scene, there was the mind trash that I had, right, of my own. And then years ago, and it's, it's gotten better as, as time has gone on. But when I first came into the scene, which at this point was like 15 years ago, I, I got a lot of, well, little girl, you're not really a dom <laughs> kind of uh, stuff thrown my way, which by the way, I was not a little girl. I was in my 20s. But with all of that, like sort of in the background, like what can folks do who want to be able to embrace that like feminine dominance, like what can you do to kind of like move past some of that? Like if you're, if you're in a place where you know that it feels good to embrace that, but you're still dealing with some of that trash in the background, like what can you do for yourself to move past some of it? I love your phrase of mind trash. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. Now what they may have said, Hey, you're not a dom. 
I am going to agree with that statement, but not in, but in a different way. <laughs> okay, right? You are not a dom. You are a full and complex individual who desires dominance in play or in relationships. So when we say I am a dominant, I am a submissive, I am a fill in the blank, it is subconsciously limiting our own potential. No, I am not a dom. I'm Midori with all of its, all of my complexity and fragileness and strength and contradictions and complexity. And sometimes I enjoy dominance. And if you're lucky, I'll enjoy it with you. So the statement of no, you're not a dom. No, you are, you are you with all of your complexity. And that shifting from noun to verb is actually a very key point because there's a tendency to reduce ourselves. And if we want to reduce ourselves into a two-dimensional stereotyped entity, even subconsciously, there's greater society that will do it for us on any given moment, right? So back to your question, you've figured out you're grooving on this. It's hot. You're liking <laughs> it. And there's still the mind trash blowing around. Keep playing with it and ask for, here's a practical tip. Be transparent about this uh, cognitive and existential dissonance that you're experiencing to the other person. And you know, so be really out about that. I love this, but I, I'm still struggling with me demanding X, Y, or Z from you, but damn, it feels good. And I know you like it too, so keep encouraging me. So you be transparent with your vulnerability and your internal conflict. And then, one, so that's at the beginning. And then, two, at the end, make sure that you arrange for and you are explicit about your own aftercare needs. From whether it's the person you're playing with or person you have a relationship with or some other way to, to let the other person know what your aftercare needs are, okay? And I'm, I'm assuming here for playing with kink as opposed to talking about setting up a relational dynamic. In a relational dynamic, absolutely be transparent about your vulnerabilities and all your feels. It makes your authority more credible that way. Because, yeah, blustering, blowhardy, faking it, dominance and leadership ain't no leadership but in terms of play make sure that you are explicit about what you need for aftercare even if it is some aftercare that is not delivered by the person you play with and here's the reason why in that request for aftercare you're stating your aftercare needs you can also include in it i need to know i need to be reassured in however ways it is that you need to or want to be reassured. Is it that you are still liked? Is it that you did good? Is it that they are happy? Is it that you are, you are still a whole and complete and, uh, and nice, polite human as opposed to a, a rude, screeching she-banshee, even though you may have enjoyed stepping into your rude she-banshee place, which can be fun. But then when you come out of it, it's like, oh, my God, do you actually think I'm this horrible person? No, 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 no. But that was really hot and how evil you were. Because that kind of reassurance will go a long way. It will counter the years and the decades and the generations of 
disempowering messaging. One thing I'm, I'm going to kick this back over to you because I know you have more to say, but there's, there's one thing that you said in there that I think is really useful that I just want to break out for people. I mean, there was a lot you said in there that was really useful, but something caught my eye, which is when you were talking about that power of, of when you say, I am this, I am that, right? And one thing I think a lot of people, like we kind of overlook this in our day-to-day life, kind of the, the extent to which our beliefs shape us and shape how we show up in the world. And one thing that we're, we, we talk to our students a lot about is beliefs and any, any belief where you're talking about I am, right? It's not just a belief. It's a really specific kind of belief. Like when you're declaring yourself to have an identity, like I am this, I am that, like that carries a lot of power, right? And so often we're really casual with that and who we're declaring ourselves to be. And it's something that it is, really important to be like really cognizant of and intentional about as we go through that. Because the whole thing you're saying about like, I am a complex individual, when you set yourself up in that way, right, that really changes the way that you're approaching and seeing and going about the entire situation. I just wanted to, I'm sure you want to keep going, but I just wanted to pull that out because I think it's a really important piece for people that so often we overlook and we're, we're really kind of lackadaisical about how we're setting those things up and we don't set ourselves up to win in that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and when we say that i am a let's say let's say a femme individual says i am a dominant well are you always feeling that don't we want to just sometimes sit on the couch and netflix and like have some <laughs> ice cream and that's okay too and if if you are true and what would please you now there is a power to naming your joy and in itself is engaging in self-determining agency, which is a component or an ingredient of the dominant of dominance and towards self-actualization, right? And one can one can speak one's desire and truth, and that may not fit the picture of dominant. <laughs> I am a dominant. You know what? I speak my truth. I want to sit on the couch and have ice cream. So there. I I do not want to right now be your ma'am or your your fearless leader or whatever. I am your slightly rattled, feeling rather fragile because I had a bad day at work, your girlfriend. So shut up and get me my ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) I I often tell folks it's, it's funny because I'll have people who don't know me outside of like podcasts and classes and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, so like when you're at home with Rigel, like you've got your big boots on and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I'm like, when I'm at home, I'm in some fucking fuzzy ass, you know, Eeyore pajamas. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I wear, what are those things called? Chucks or clogs or whatever the hell they are, which like I wouldn't be caught dead in outside of my house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yep. the great thing about it is I am secure in who I am as a person to be able to do that, to let myself yeah. be able to, to, to enjoy outside of what this, this like idea of what it's supposed to be for what is the thing that works for me. Right. And did you notice how many times you just said, I am there? Yeah. Like (laughs) (laughs) in a positive way. Yeah. But, but seriously, Mm -hmm. like I, I think way too often we get 
to a place where we're like, we're not living up to this ideal, right? Versus how can I live my life in a way that serves me and makes me happy? And going back to the beginning where we're talking about like, there's different things in our lives that are going to serve us at different times, right? My my 10 inch heels are not going to serve me when I'm nursing my 10 month old, as opposed to what I'm playing in the dungeon. And now there's there's somebody who's dominating both your lives. Oh the 10 month old sleep, sleep deprivation rainbow rainbow showers <laughs> and you know yeah yeah like incomplete. she's running the house right now the baby oh, yeah. has the power yeah and especially when the baby finally figured out how to say no that is a new word and we have just figured out that we have we have strong feelings about certain objects being mine right now we've had quite a few conversations about how the broom does not belong to her and she is not buying it she's telling everybody exactly what she thinks queen baby yeah with lots of strong opinions her highness the baby Yep, and it's, it's it's I think it's one of those things that like we we all have to adjust to what's going on in our lives and and where where our lives intersect with the people that we love and care about. And I think that's been a lot of what you're talking about, which is this beautiful balance of of being able to be all the parts of ourselves. This is where fantasy comes in because when all of life's responsibilities are upon our shoulders, when whether it's grief or or financial pressures, or just everyday pandemic existential crisis. First of all, one can hold on to fantasy without having to make it a reality. Fantasy is the fastest little vacation that we can take. Fantasy does not have to be actualized now or ever. Maybe some fantasies can be actualized in another time in post-pandemic. And there are some fantasies that really ought never be realized. <laughs> I got a few of those. And then there are fantasy recollection of that which we enjoyed in the past. So playing with memory. And yeah, it can be accompanied by a bit of sadness, nostalgia, or grief. And a little nostalgia and sadness and missing and longing is is the bittersweet medicine of having a life well lived. I think a lot of people have a hard time separating that though. I think a lot of people have a hard time, especially when it comes to to relationships where there's a, there's some kind of power imbalance, right? I think you see a lot of people who have adjusted to that reality in a lot of parts of their lives where there is life and life, you do have the fantasy and life you can build towards. You want your life to look more like the fantasy, right? But there's also life. I think people seem, though, to have a particularly hard time with that dissonance when it comes to power exchange relationships. Like, there seems to be so often that People have a really, really hard time keeping that feeling that there is an imbalance of power and exchange of power there when they do find themselves caught up in like the day-to-day life of the baby or the bills have to be paid or the chores or the... What suggestions would you have the folks who are finding themselves struggling with that? Um, And again, this isn't really just a pandemic thing. This is a day-to-day thing, but this thing where... 
they have this fantasy of what that power exchange would look like and the day-to-day isn't matching up and they have a hard time feeling like congruent keeping, yeah well yeah keeping that feeling going like it's really there yeah keep congruent hmm. okay so for people to whom they can actualize fantasies or they believe that they have the right to actualize their fantasies that is a place of profound privilege that is a place of profound privilege that you can even do so there's a sadness in the temporary loss or maybe a long-term or permanent loss but most people don't get to equate their fantasy into their reality. A lot of people, especially especially marginalized people or BIPOC folks or people of who are financially struggling, the idea that one's fantasy could even be attainable is so outside of their norm. So to flip that, for those who have been able to engage in their fantasy, or that it might even be a possibility of, of even slightly becoming a real part of it. Appreciate what you got. And a bit of sadness, a bit of struggle, a bit of longing. I mean, life is suffering. And that turn that little sour and the sadness, the sour and the salt of the feeling of missing into something beautiful that you have had that memory and that you might still be able to. And I go back to enjoying developing a rich fantasy life and a rich fantasy life in itself, the power of imagination is profound. Enjoy it, develop it. Hell, if you got some talent to just like a half-ass ability to string some words together into sentences, into paragraphs, to chapters. Put your your filthy, hot fantasies down into writing. Put your fantasies into whether it's writing or an audio-recorded form. And it doesn't matter if it's crappy writing. Just write it. Because just in the act of writing it, taking it from fantasy in your head into fantasy on paper makes it more cognitively tangible and something that you can enjoy just a little more. And if it, and if that fantasy happens to involve your other that you're in a relationship with, write them into the story. And it becomes a literary way by which, and which to maintain power disparate play. And it can be tweet-sized. You can like torture them by tweet-sized fantasies that eventually you string together. I know someone who's written a novel by tweeting themselves during their commute. It, it actually becomes an active way in which you're engaging your imagination involving another person in your fantasy. Then they get to read and savor whatever fantasy that, that you created. You get to engage in suspension of disbelief and laws of physics, just like don't matter. Laws of physics, biology, anatomy, history, time, doesn't matter, but it involves you and the other person. And it can be totally poorly written. It doesn't matter. They will love it. Trust me, they will love it. And that is, you can actually engage in a scene in that way 
in such a way that maybe it'll be read in that moment while a person's eating their breakfast, right? Coffee, breakfast, fantasy from your dominant, oh my God, or fantasy from your submissive. I mean, it's a sweet way to be you know, told they're thinking of you. And also allows you to rehearse the power dynamic within your mind and that there's a power to visualization and mental rehearsals that sometimes is just as good as, right? And it can help keep the, the fire in a tiny little flame, if not at least a blaze. So for those who are, who are playing with the idea of incorporating some of those fantasy thoughts and things like that, what are, what are some things that they can do to sort of add to their, their I guess, uh, list of, of ideas and things like that? Like, where can you dig some, some good ideas for things like that to play with? I am a big fan of fiction, including fan fiction, slash fiction, the classic literatures as well, because why not hijack and borrow from those who have done the imagining for you and stick you and your person into that? Why not? And then, yeah, it's playing with, it. it's mental role-playing, literary role-playing, uh, yeah, slash fiction, fan fiction, classics, BDSM, smut. This is where I find that standard porn come up really short because I think the, the you know, all I hail the creative writers out there, they're, how many ways can you come up with describing anatomical parts or the, the sound of a butt being whacked or... How do they describe how an order for a beverage is delivered, right? Yeah, enjoy smutty written fiction. And for folks who are interested in taking some of that, those those things that they're looking for as far as a power dynamic, right? And they may be trying to get those into place with their partner. Maybe it's something where the power dynamic is newer to them, or maybe it's places in the power dynamic that they haven't explored what kind of suggestions do you have for people as far as how to take that from an idea that you're interested in and actually talk to your partner and maybe have that be something that you're trying as far as the power dynamic and how you two are relating so in taking it to to trying my advice would be a start small start simple don't come up with 157 protocols of your DS relationship. <laughs> no, no, no. And you know how like in dog training TV shows like Season of the Dog Whisperer, who's the one really getting trained and learning discipline? The dog the trainer. Human. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, the human. So in this case, if the the rules and the expectations should be the rules and expectations that are set are ones that the, the leadership side of the relationship can effectively, efficiently, and consistently execute and, and pay attention to. Don't make some rules that you can't keep track of, remember, or God forbid you don't care about. And just start few at a time because if you are you are new to having a power disparate relationship with one another 
Give yourself small successes to build upon. Have small successes to build upon and see if those rules can be maintained and thrived within. Not just maintain. I mean, maintaining a, maintaining a tolerably good habit is me remembering. That's like me remembering to tra- take the trash out on Thursday night. Is That's a good habit, but that doesn't actually like make me happy because that's just house management, right? Outside of TS stuff. But what do I care about? Okay, me personally, I care about my tea. Me personally, I care that I can efficiently work and create my artwork. And so since that's central to my life, any protocols and DS experimentations that I'm developing with a person has to dovetail with that which is most important to me, which is my, my teaching and my art. So I'm not going to create rules in the DS relationship, 157 rules of things that get in the way of me doing my art and work. That would be stupid. But if I instead create a couple of simple things that I know will bring me joy, not that which I think should give me joy. If I am not into random foot worshiping, there I am working on a writing deadline and suddenly somebody is kissing my foot. No, no, just no. No, you're going to get your head kicked in because you will have startled me. This is a very bad idea. (laughs) And one would think, oh, you're you're a dominant. You must enjoy foot worship. Only when I want to, not all the time. But if you make a really fine cup of tea and it shows up wordlessly next to my laptop, (gasps) two things I love. No, three things, four things. (laughs) Tea, efficiency and work my ability to work, grace in delivery, and stealth in delivery. It's like ninja tea service. Woo. Midori, you're speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, seriously, because, you know, that's that's one of the things, because in my relationships, I take on a dominant role. And one of my, one of my things is what? In the morning? Tea. You bring me my tea. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. No, yeah, so, no, I didn't think uh, that's where you were taking it. But, but yes. yeah, no, but that that idea of like, just like I wake up in the morning and my tea is next to me. I don't have to worry about it. It's already made. It's there just makes me very happy. So when you were talking about that, I was like, yes, yes. And I, I, I really do think it is those things that you can derive joy from. And as you said, not necessarily things that you think you're supposed to drive from. And when when I talk to folks and they say, oh, well, what, what kind of protocols do you have? And I'm like, the ones that make me smile, the ones that make me feel closer to my partner. And that's how I sort of rate the things that I decide on. I don't need to have protocols like you, you what toilet paper, way you put the toilet paper, things like that. I mean, there is actually a way that you're supposed to put the toilet paper, but unless you're a sadist. But beyond that, like there's, there's all these like protocols that could be, but the ones that I want in my life are the ones that put a smile on my face and make me feel more connected. Whether it's my tea in the morning or it is my partner's wearing a symbol and being able to see that every day and be like, yes, that's mine. But that makes me have joy, right? 
And so finding those things that like bring you joy and and feel exciting or hot or fun or whatever, fill in awesome feeling. I think that's really where your focus should be when you're building those, especially the beginning of any kind of dynamic like that, those beginning protocols or rules that you make should just be about having fun and joy. Yeah. And, and that which you care about, never set a rule on something you fundamentally don't care about. Great parenting advice and DS advice. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Oh, oh, I guess it is. Yeah. I, I, I'm a cat parent, so I guess it applies to humans. Well, it's different with cats. <laughs> cats well, that's because they're own, making the rules. Yeah, yeah. It's like cats make their own rules. <laughs> cats make the rules. And yeah, with cats, my method of approaching them is is mildly annoying them as a way of entertainment. But with cats, it's more a sadomasochistic thing rather than a DS thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love you, so I will sink my claws into your thigh. Uh, that's cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love, I love that thing that you said about picking the things that bring you joy instead of the things that you think should. And I, I think this gets back to what we were talking about earlier with this idea that there's like a right way. And like, if I, if I really am dominant, I'll enjoy X and Y and Z. I'm thinking of that, that thing that you ran into at the dungeon that one time. Oh God, you mean me giving you a blowjob and suddenly I'm a submissive. Oh my God! Have they never heard of te- have they never heard of teeth? Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Teeth, or the fact that like I had him tied up. Like I have to actually paint the picture, which is you. There was there. There's a gingerbread table, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got him tied down to the gingerbread table for like 25 minutes. I've used canes on him. He's given me oral. I've sat on his face, and then at the end, I was like, "He's been a good boy. I want to give him a blowjob." And afterwards, I had. Someone come up to me and was like, I'm really confused because I thought you were his dom. And I was like, I am. I'm not really. It made you you happy and it's none of their damn business. Exactly. And wasn't this another woman who also identified as dominant? Yep. It was. and, And that's one thing that really irks me is I feel like I feel like there is for the majority like this like unity where there is a lot of women who can can back each other up and give each other that like like you're awesome but there are a few people out there who I feel like are looking to rip people down unfortunately there's one of those in every crowd and I I think for this person in particular it wasn't necessarily a ripping down I think it was just a general like you're not supposed to do that because if, if you're the dominant person, you don't give pleasure to your partner. And yeah, it sounds it sounds like she internalized the aforementioned bad information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that ha- that happens. I mean, in my Fort FM weekend, I end up with a lot of people coming in. Well, you know, enough people coming in that have internalized some stereotyped information or something that they learned secondhand to somebody else who also didn't know much. So it's easy to internalize bad information. Well, and I think it gets back to that, like you said, that for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, assuming, mm-hmm. and I think this is the challenge, and this this kind of wraps the other couple of things we've been talking about here, but, and I find it hard not to take this to 
Because the example I use for this most of the time actually has to do with monogamy and non-monogamy. Monogamy is a perfectly reasonable like relationship option if that's what's best for you. Mm-hmm. But so many people are doing it who it's not actually the best for. And I think you run into that here too, right? Which is what we're talking about where it's it's this, if that's really what's best for you and your, your power dynamic, then that's something to do. But I think there's so many people who are doing the things that aren't necessarily the best fit for them, that aren't bringing them joy out of a misplaced idea of what being a good dominant or true dominant and air quotes for, you know, people who can't see this, but it like looks like, and I think, I think it really does come back to that more people internalizing that for you mm-hmm. <laughs> as they're going yep. through it. Yeah. Cause you know, it's, yeah, you're right. It's not like, it's not like we're doing well in terms of examples to follow around conventional unions And we have even less examples around non-conventional, whether it's non-monogamy or whether it's kink. And with kink, our our source material is fiction. It's not even like watching like generations of different marriages and relationships in real life around us succeeding or failing. I mean, so often we're basing our kink play and relationship, but specifically relationships on fiction. Fiction is fun, but it's not a manual. And half of the manuals that are out there, even like most of the manuals written out there, are based upon romantic fantasies. Either the author's fantasy or a cultural trope and stereotype. We're just figuring this out. I mean, we are, there's, we, we really are culturally just at the bleeding edge of figuring this shit out. Which makes it really challenging, right? Because like you said, when you're in any kind of non-traditional relationship or we like to talk about building relationships outside of the box, but yeah, there, there, there's a dearth of good role models. There's a dearth of good information and it makes it really challenging for folks, right? To, to really, and so much of, and even in traditional relationships, so much of the time we're operating by default and just what we've picked up growing up and what we've picked up from like community and the culture around us and that kind of thing. Path, but Path of least resistance. Right. But at least when you, you decide that you really want to go and make figuring out how to build your relationships in a healthy way, in a more effective way, there are some good there, there is some good stuff you can, you can find, right? There is some good material. There's some good education. We definitely more, more suffer from Polly that. And kink. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we definitely, there's definitely a big suffering for that, I think, in the poly and kink spaces. You know, what's going to happen is like 30, 50 years from now, so 50 years from now, that people are going to look back to the discussions we're having and saying, oh my God, that's so basic. We <laughs> <laughs> oh were arguing over that. That's so obvious. Oh my God. I look forward to that. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it already is happening. The fact that that much of a lot of sexually normalized and destigmatized behavior in general population, like something as simple as unmarried people living together. <gasps> like today, it's like, yeah. <laughs> And for my grandmother's generation, oh, hell, for my mother's generation would have been like, a divorcee to the, it's like, are you on number two, three or four? Well, and you know, it's really interesting that that's one 
one place that we get some really cool insights. I imagine you probably do too, right? And what you do is just the number. Back when we first really started getting into coaching and working with clients and helping non-monogamous people, I mean, we talk one-on-one to like hundreds of people a year. And I, I really had this thought in my head that like at some point we were just going to like run out of people, right? Like it was going to be it. Like we were going to talk to everybody that we could talk to and, and it was going to be, and I know that's silly in retrospect, right? But it's so crazy to have just, and, and talking to people in places that you never would like suspect, but like conservative bastions, like people who are, yeah, it's like dominogous people there, kinky people there. Like it is becoming so much more prevalent. I think you're right. I think there's definitely going to be a point where people look back and go, I can't believe we weren't having these discussions. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, before we kind of, you know, wrap up and, and do a little bit of our speed round, because we always do that when we close out, because that's fun. Is there anything else that you feel our listeners should know or that would be really helpful with them in their journey? Specifically regarding the power dynamic and the feminine dominance specifically. I know we've brushed on a lot, but. (laughs) One simple advice that I would give is when you're not sure of yourself, check your posture and just really sit up straight. Sit up straight, check your posture, see how you're holding yourself. Are you hold? And this is like, this seems like a dumb one, but it'll work. Uh, when you're not sure of yourself, are you sitting in a way that is feeding your insecurity? Or are you giving yourself the best possible body posture to make your best decision? That's it. I, I'm, I'm not going to get all complicated on this because there's so much. I mean, there's years and years of things that I have done poorly and things I've done well. But yeah, a simple, simple takeaway is that when you're not sure, check your posture and then ask, ask yourself again. I love it. So are you game to go down for our, our speed round and us ask you some questions? Sure. Let's give it a whirl. All right. So the idea is like, you're supposed to get through them in 60 seconds. If you don't, it's fine. But just the first thing that comes to mind when we ask. All right. Mm-hmm. So what is something you're not very good at? Finances. Okay. Best piece of relationship advice you've ever received? Well, sleep on it and things will look better in the morning. What are three things you couldn't live without? Couldn't live without. Uh, let's see. Tea. Art. The sun. <laughs> what turns you on? Smart. Tell me something that's true that almost no one agrees with you on. No one agrees with me. That almost no one agrees with me? Wow. Okay, I was going to say Marmite is better than Vegemite, but then the entire British Isle would agree with me. <laughs> I think yeah. that works. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> But I was also thinking like anchovies with pineapple on a pizza. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) We're going to move on from that. I don't even want to imagine that. Oh, okay. A book you would recommend for our listeners? Mm. So many. Let's (laughs) see. Well, if you can get a hold of the original Spider Garden graphic novel, I would highly recommend that. Mm. Okay. What is your biggest fear? 
Oh, biggest fear. Being, becoming the patron saint of the mundane. <laughs> and if you can name where I borrowed that line from, I, listeners, I'll be impressed. I, I don't know where it's from. I was like, it sounds familiar, but I can't grab it. Uh-huh. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? And this can be like a sexual adventure or a non-sexual adventure, but something that's super, super adventurous that you've done in your life. Hmm. Let's see. Well, I use myself as a bait to flush out my stalker. Okay. That's brave too. Who's your movie or TV or famous person crush? Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Atomic Blonde and David Bowie. (laughs) (laughs) And what's something that you're working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? Let's see. I think it's my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Planet Midori. It's, it's become a nice little corner of, of where I put my creativity and my teaching. It's been, it's been a really fun, well, creative place where I get to experiment with things. Awesome. And where can our listeners find you online if they want to find you? Well, well, there's a Patreon, Planet Midori, also on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm under Planet Midori. In FetLife, I'm there as Midori. I'm probably more active on Instagram. But yeah, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Planet Midori, and Midori under FetLife. I think, and it's it's just... It's something about the world right now, but I think that most people tend to be more active on other social media platforms than FetLife at this point. So I think that's more the norm than the exception right now. So yeah. whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or something. Oh God. And yeah, I even have a TikTok, but I only do that occasionally when I have a little extra time. Awesome. So we'll, we'll put some links in the show notes for folks to be able to come find you. And it has been really awesome having you on. And I feel like we're going to have to think about what we want to call this episode. Cause I feel like it was like just a chat with Midori <laughs> and I love it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for uh, um, putting up with my kind of unconventional view, view on things. I think we're all unconventional here. It's been fantastic yes. having you. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 